When something goes wrong, do you look inward or outward for someone to blame? Do you avoid confrontation and take out your anger on someone else? Then, this podcast might be for you. This is Mind Your Mornings with Anna Chandy, a fortnightly podcast that takes you on the journey to a brave new about Anna's practice, you can log on to www.annachandy.com. That's www.annachandy.com. Episode 12. Hi, and welcome to Mind Your Mornings. I'm Anna Chandy, your host for this podcast. Over the last 27 years, I have worked with more than over a thousand people, both individuals and families. And through this podcast, I want to bring to you what I have learned about life and its nuances through the experiences of people I have interacted with. Many years ago, I had a client, Jane. She was late into her 50s with two daughters who were financially independent and had moved to different cities. Jane lived with her husband of 30 years in what she called a difficult marriage. She came to me at the insistence of her daughters who felt her mood swings of anger and crying needed professional help. Her problem was clear, she said, her husband. She felt she hadn't experienced a single moment of happiness in her marriage and was with him only for the kids. They couldn't go to a restaurant with him because he cracked stupid jokes with the waiters. They always had limited funds for a holiday because he wanted to invest the money for their children's future. They lived a middle-class life while apparently he was enjoying the best on his office trips. She felt she had been denied the life she had always wanted because of this man, who was frugal, awkward and basically incompetent in everything he did. So, what prompted her to come in now, after all these years, I asked. After a few sessions, she opened up. Every time she told her children about something their father did that made her angry, they took his side. This had never happened before. Was he secretly talking to them and painting her in a negative light? Hadn't they all suffered together with this man and his idiosyncrasies for 25 years? No, I thought. They hadn't suffered him together. They had suffered this together. And the children now no longer 
wanted to take part in this drama. In dysfunctional families, there is often one person who is blamed for everything. In this case, it was the father. Can't go out for a family dinner? Your father doesn't even make enough money. Can't watch television on full volume? Your father is on a call. Even the smallest of situations don't go by without the blame falling squarely on that one person. Can't make pasta today? Your father forgot to bring the sauce. In the case of Jane's family, it was her husband who could never get anything right and therefore made her and her children's life miserable. When a person feels so wronged, we feel compelled to believe they are right. The reaction often is, poor thing, I don't know how you managed all these years. You are so brave, so resilient. But in reality, it is quite the opposite. In psychology, we call this the scapegoating theory. It refers to this very tendency to constantly blame someone else for something or anything that is difficult in your life. It is about dumping your failures on someone to make yourself look right. After all, heroes are just regular people without a villain in the picture. Jane had spent her entire married life pinning her husband as the villain. Her children adapted to these family dynamics. The mother could do no wrong. The father was the one who made their life miserable. Children are naive and impressionable. They respond to love and protection, especially in dysfunctional families. Very early on, they subconsciously realize the protection from the matriarch. The father, often on office trips, was not physically present and demanding of constant love and validation from the children. Despite being caring, gentle and providing for the family, he became the obvious villain. This is a classic case of creating an us versus them narrative. Us isn't the family, it is the mother, daughters in this together. Them is the husband, he is the other. But in a rare turn of events, things had changed when the daughters moved out of their family home. The constant demands on their preference weaned off and they were able to look at their parents more objectively. Jane was going through this particular situation where she was not able to make her husband the scapegoat. For years, she had directed her feelings of anger, frustration, envy and shame onto him. But now, she was facing the turmoil of being held responsible for her actions. The positive, heroic image she had built for herself was fading and she could no longer hide or distract from her very own human failures. And she was not ready to face herself. Now it is important to understand that people who scapegoat are often filled with negative emotions 
about themselves that they feel the need to raise a defense mechanism. The defense not only provides gratification, but only a sense of righteousness, a justification for their own aggression. The scapegoat has its origins in the Old Testament. In this ancient law, Aaron was made to select a goat to cast upon all their sins. This people were unburdened of their sins, whatever they might be. The goat now carrying the baggage was to be released into the wild to fend for itself alone and without its herd. Everyone felt better, now free from their wrongdoings. Now this was done without identifying or atoning for their sins, and the goat selected from its herd was released into isolation and danger for no fault of its own. Scapegoating in society is not limited just to the personal. It is present in the smallest deflections. I got late because he wouldn't help me decide what to wear to family dynamics like Jane, but it is evident even in workspaces. I have encountered people at, who at the junior level become the scapegoats. Their boss, usually in middle management, has an image to maintain in front of his seniors and deflects the blame onto juniors. This lack of accountability has serious effects, not just on the careers of his juniors, but also their psychological well-being. Because after repeatedly being the scapegoat, one tends to internalize the blame and doubting oneself about everything. However, the most obvious instances of scapegoating are visible in political scenarios. I will go as far as to say that the current political polarization all over the world is a delicate play of scapegoating. Now the concept of scapegoating can extend from one individual to another, a group to an individual and vice versa or be present between two groups of people. Within groups of people, there are usually easily recognizable identifiers of the other group. Religion, race, caste or social class all used and as markers of othering. The group that becomes the scapegoat is usually the one low on power. This could be in terms of money, numbers or social status. The in-group, when placed in a position of accountability, invokes feelings of hate, anger or fear towards the other group. This shared feeling of mistrust of the group creates a sense of unison towards perceived retribution or justice. The most obvious and tragic example, Germany from mid-20th century. Adolf Hitler invoked feelings of envy and injustice among the Germans suffering after World War I. He depicted Jews as more commercially successful than the average German citizens because they favored other Jews. He played on the anyway fragile mental situation of the Germans and created a fervor of extreme nationalism. He drove them to a single cause, perceived 
improvement of Germany. The Jews became the scapegoats. All the pent-up anger and frustration at their own situation was displaced onto the Jews as resentment. As my colleague put it, he used the boilerplate to manipulate. In most cases, scapegoating comes from a sense of entitlement or a feeling of being deprived of something good, better, something they deserve. Scapegoating in dysfunctional families is difficult to break. It is often so subtle that children who were scapegoats do not realize they are suffering from emotional bullying and abuse. The family narrative is so distorted that it takes the death of the parent or cutting off ties to realize their feelings of being discarded. Whether it is a designated scapegoat who always takes the fall or a rotating scapegoat. I once had a client who after many sessions realized that her differences with her sister were because the mother constantly put one up against the other. The mother, a perfectionist, believed in clear right and wrong. Rather than acknowledging her mistake to understand it was the situation, she would let the blame fall on one of the two children who became accustomed to vying for the special place in her life, making the other the scapegoat. These families often have or feel the need to hide. Scapegoating helps them project a healthy, happy family where one person steps out of line and needs to be fixed. As a therapist working with scapegoats is a long and involved process. They are so clouded in self-blame and associated shame that it takes a while to clear this fog for them to really see who they are and what potential they have. This is because they see themselves as inherently flawed, having internalized the narrative projected onto them from early on. Sometimes the scapegoat becomes the scapegoater. Just like a bully learns to pass on their insecurities, a scapegoat too learns to deflect onto other people to protect themselves. This is a chain that can only be broken with self-awareness and understanding. I would like to add that it's not scapegoating when the system is inherently unfair. If someone blames another for nepotism, he is not scapegoating. He's facing real consequences of preference. The difference between when it is and when it isn't requires an understanding of a person's history, the situation, and empathy. The next three episodes are going to be on child sexual abuse, definitions, understanding sexual offenders, and are you an adult survivor and do you need to take help? I'm talking about this topic as there are several requests. Write in to us at anna at anachandy.com and I'll address some of the topics of interest to you. Thank you for listening to Mind Your Mornings with me, Anna Chandy. I'll see you in a fortnight. 
with another discovery into the mind and the meanings we can make. You can subscribe to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple iTunes. This is Mind Your Mornings with Anna Chandy, a fortnightly podcast that takes you on the journey to a brave new you.